light and darkness. From the very first time you opened your eyes as a baby to the very last time you will close them on your last day on earth, your eyes were affected by light and darkness. Now when you were younger, some of you were afraid of the dark. Now many years later, some of you are still afraid of the dark. Yet others need to buy special curtains so not even the street lights keep you awake at night. When you were a child in the pre-smartphone days, every home had a flashlight with working batteries. So if the electricity went out, there was even a small light to help navigate the darkness. In the summertime, there are, there are definite signs of light and darkness. The soft, quiet fireflies blinking on a dark summer night, or the loud fireworks blasting in the sky on the 4th of July. Or many have flown in an airplane in the evening, approaching the city that you're landing in, and notice the lights becoming bigger and bigger the closer you come to the city. But light and darkness is not just a theme that we have in our lives. Light and darkness is a theme that we see throughout all the Bible. For it just takes three verses into the whole Bible to get the first mention. The first time God speaks, Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Several chapters later in Genesis 22, God selects Abraham to be the father of his people, the Israelites. And he tells him that his descendants will outnumber the stars of the sky. And we picture this man standing out in the countryside in the darkness, looking up in the sky, looking at lights. There's a lot of darkness in the Old Testament, and how did God lead his people? Through a light in the night. And when that light moved, his people moved. And when that light stayed still, his people stayed still. But light and darkness is also a theme in the New Testament. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, truly God and truly man, born as a baby. And how did God lead the wise men there? Through a light that would be in the sky. This baby grew up. He performed miracles. He took people who were stuck in darkness, who were blind from birth, giving him the ability to see, the ability to see light. Jesus taught that I am the light of the world. Later in the New Testament, Paul wrote many letters and one of them to the church in Philippi. He told them, if you follow the ways of Jesus, you will shine like lights in the world in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. Light and darkness is a theme throughout the whole Bible. And light and darkness is a theme throughout our text this morning in 1 John chapter 1. We're now to the 62nd book of the Bible, and this theme of light and darkness is still prevalent. Follow along with me as we read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, 
we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John starts out this section of scripture with an announcement, with a message. But this isn't any type of message. This is a message straight from God himself, directly from the lips of Jesus. And this was the message that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. After all the descriptions of light and darkness in the Bible, some of which we've just mentioned, John thought it was necessary to continue to let people know that God didn't only command the light, but God is light. And just as one's pupils change when they come in contact with light, so does one's life change when they come in contact with God. For it's impossible for someone to come in contact with the light of who God is and stay the same. Do you want to know what God is like? He is pure in holiness and isn't just sanitized from the darkness. There is no darkness in him at all. And when John wrote this to the people who he wanted to get this point across to, we translate it into our Bibles today, but because for some reason in the English language we can't have double negatives, this verse doesn't translate properly. For what John actually said is, and darkness in him there is not none, because God is light. Now, this is hard for people to get their minds around. Well-known atheist Stephen Hawking commented that religion is a fairy tale for people who are afraid of the dark. Apologist John Lennox responded and said, Religion is not a fairy tale for people who are afraid of the dark. Actually, atheism is a fairy tale for people who are afraid of the light. For the purity of who God is sets the trajectory for everything that exists. And if God is light, then it makes sense that his followers must also be in the light. And that's why what we see this morning in verses 5 to 10 is a plea that we as Christians are called to dwell in the light of God rather than the darkness of sin. That those people who call themselves Christian, Christ followers, are called to dwell in the light of God rather than the darkness of sin. And thankfully, John doesn't stop in verse 5. In verses 6 to 10, he gives five hypothetical projections of reality. Five statements that if you're someone who likes repetition, this is your text. Verses 6 to 10 all start with the word if. 
And John gives five situations that he knew Christ's followers would find themselves in and how we are supposed to dwell in the light of God rather than the darkness of sin. So let's start going through this one by one, starting in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is a very clear warning from John to Christians to not walk in the darkness. Just as it doesn't make sense for an athlete to wear the jersey of the opposing team during a game, so a Christian should not walk in darkness while following the God who is light. Why not? Because there is no darkness in God at all. And walking in darkness, which would be having a pattern of unrepentant sin, continuing to sin again and again and again, in a way where our hearts are hard towards God and we don't even repent. Having this type of lifestyle in the life of someone who claims to be a Christian is very troubling. If you look down at verse 6, it's so troubling that John calls this person a liar. He says, we lie and do not practice the truth. Those who claim to have fellowship with God cannot continually walk in darkness. Now, this statement from John goes parallel with other statements like this in the New Testament, such as what John wrote in John 3, 19, where he said, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Or what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5:11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And this leads to a question for us this morning. Do we enjoy the darkness of sin more than we enjoy dwelling in the light of God? Because if so, this is a big deal for Christians because the life of a Christian must be marked by dwelling in the light. But John moves on from this negative example, don't walk in darkness, and changes in verse 7 to a positive example of walking in the light. Look down with me at verse 7. But, different from what he just wrote, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us, from all sin. This is not a negative warning, but a positive admonition that John gives. Christian, you must walk in the light. As we dwell in the light of who God is, we are exposed to the reality of sin. Notice here in this verse, John doesn't excuse sin. Instead, he explains how to be cleansed by sin. He explains the only way how to be cleansed from sin, by the blood of Jesus. And if you're someone who likes to mark up your Bible with a pen, maybe you want to circle the word all. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But this verse also brings up the necessity 
of having fellowship with God if we want to have true fellowship with other Christians. It says in the beginning of this verse that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Christian fellowship is unlike anything else in this world. Christian fellowship doesn't make sense to people who are not Christians. People can have different backgrounds, different ambitions, different colors of skin, different hobbies, different political leanings, and different ambitions in life, and still be bonded together through the blood of Jesus. This was portrayed for us so well 150 years ago by a man named Thomas Johnson. Now, when I say the name Thomas Johnson, you, we usually don't know who that is unless you know someone named Thomas Johnson. But Thomas Johnson was born and grew up as a slave in the southern United States. He stayed a slave until the North beat the South in the Civil War, and he got saved and decided that he was called to be a pastor. He became a pastor in Illinois after being freed from a slave, and God laid on his heart the desire to be a missionary to Africa. A former slave raised in the United States, feeling called to be a missionary to Africa. But he knew he needed more training. And he heard of this man in London named Charles Spurgeon, who trained pastors. Now, Charles Spurgeon was about as opposite of Thomas Johnson as possible. He looked very different. He talked very different. He grew up in a very different place, in the very different culture. But Thomas Johnson went across the ocean and trained with Charles Spurgeon and then was sent by Charles Spurgeon to be, an Af uh, to be a missionary to Africa. How is this type of fellowship possible? Humanly speaking, this makes no sense. It's because, like John wrote here in verse 7, they had the greatest common denominator. They were both washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. True Christian fellowship is only possible as we dwell in the light of God rather than the darkness of sin. Now, I don't know what this means for you and I, but what I know is that the closer we get to God, the more we should look for opportunities to expand Christian fellowship with other believers. Verse 6, do not walk in darkness. Verse 7, walk in the light. And then verse 8, we have another warning from John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, if you're sitting here in the room this morning or you're watching on the live stream and you're a perfectionist, this verse is for you. See, the Bible doesn't assume that you are perfect. It actually states the complete opposite. That if you claim to be perfect or you claim to be sinless, it says that you're actually a liar. And what John is trying to get across here is to the people who he dearly loved, he wanted to say, don't be a liar. 
See, a claim of no sin is actually an admission of being a sinner. And notice here in verse 8, the deceiving isn't from someone else, but the deceiving is from ourselves. He says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Claiming to have no sin is not someone else's fault. This is on us. Now, just as it's easiest to see dirt when you're in the presence of light, I don't know if you've ever had the experience sitting at your kitchen table or sitting on the couch in your living room, sunlight beaming through the window, and all of a sudden you realize there is dirt or dust flying in front of you that you did not realize before. Just as it's easiest to see dirt in the presence of light, so the closer we get to God the more obvious our sin can be in our lives. David Jackman, a pastor in London who preached here to us a couple years ago, wrote about this section of verses and says, Walking in the light means living each day with God, who is light. The nearer I come to God, the more conscious I shall be of my own sin and rebellion. So the greatest saints have always been conscious of themselves as the worst sinners. This is how someone like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says in, in 1 Timothy 1 that I am a sinner of, of whom is the foremost. That the closer we get to God, the reality of our sin within us seems to become more and more obvious. But this is where we're thankful that John did not stop at verse 8. That we shouldn't let our sin dwell within us, but we should deal with our sin in the only way that we can actually deal with it. And we get to verse 9, what I think is one of the most common verses in the Bible. Let's dwell on this verse this morning. That if... This hypothetical projection of reality, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John's admonition here is pretty clear. Don't hold on to your sins. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Don't hold on to your sins. Confess them to God. Because the reality of sin leads to the confession and the forgiveness of sins. See, the beautiful thing about the gospel is God doesn't do to our sins what many of us do to our sins. Push them away, try to forget about them, pretend like they maybe didn't happen before. Right? God doesn't deal with our sins How some of us deal with cleaning our homes before guests arrive. We got three minutes and we have a messy house. Take anything you see and put it in the spare bedroom and shut the door. God doesn't do that to your sin. He doesn't look for places to hide your sin so others won't see it. He dealt with your sin. This verse explains in verse 9 that he is the perfect combination of faithfulness and justice. 
Jesus actually paid for your sin on the cross. He didn't rent your sin. He didn't bargain for your sin. He didn't hide your sin. He bought your sin. And he bought it for a reason. So that you could be cleansed from all your unrighteousness. This is why we can enjoy the light of who God is. Because Jesus paid it all is not just a song that we sing, but it's a reality that we live in. That Jesus truly did pay it all, and all to him I owe. But John also, like I said, if you're in a repetition, this seems to be the section of Scripture for you. He seems to repeat himself in verses 6, 8, and 10 by talking about what we say. But here in verse 9, we see some repetition of what we saw up in verse 7. In verse 7, he made it clear that he has cleansed us from all sin. And now in verse 9, he mentions again that we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. Why does John make this point? Because the gospel is not partial good news. The gospel is not that God cleans you up and you need to clean the rest of yourself up. The gospel is that God, through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, has paid for the penalty of your sin. And you can be cleansed this morning. You don't need to hold on to that sin anymore. Jesus already paid for it. The righteous one in this verse, Jesus, paid for the sin of the unrighteous one. Humanly speaking, this does not make sense, but thankfully, with God, all things are possible. Then we move on from verse 9 to the last verse in this section, and again, John focuses on what we say. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Earlier in verse 8, John said, if we claim to have no sin, we make ourselves to be a liar. It's one thing to be a liar. It's another thing to call someone else a liar. And it's a completely other thing to call God a liar. And what John is explaining here is when we claim we have no sin, we have not sinned, what we're actually doing is calling God a liar. The reason this would be calling God a liar is because if we claim we have no sin, then there would have been no need to send Jesus in the first place. And although your plans and my plans change daily, hourly, minutely, God's plan never changed. Sending Jesus to save you from your sin was always God's plan A. So the claim of having no sin in our lives would be calling God a liar. It's always good to remember when reading a verse like this that God isn't surprised by our sin. He loves us in spite of our sin. And he desires for us to dwell in the light of God rather than the darkness of sin. 
This is something he wants for us, for his church, to do now. He wants us to dwell in the light of who he is now. But it's also something he wants for us in the future. For in the beginning of the sermon, we trace light and darkness through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. Here we are in 1 John. But this isn't the last time that John writes of light and darkness. For John's the one who who recorded the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 21, John writes of light and darkness one more time. And what we find here in the second to last book of the Bible is that the whole Bible is bookended by light and darkness. Genesis 1 verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And then in the very end of the Bible, the second to last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21, starting in verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple was the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. John reminds the believers that for those who are in Christ, eternity will be filled with his people dwelling in the light of who God is. And so I end with the question this morning. Brothers and sisters, why not dwell in the light of God now? For God desires that his people will dwell in the light of God rather than the darkness of sin. Let us pray. God, we thank you that in the midst of our dark world, that you sent Jesus Christ, your Son, the light of the world. And Father, I pray that we as a church would dwell in the light of who you are and that we would not hold on to our sin any longer, but we would rejoice in the fact that you made a way for us to be forgiven from our sins, your Son, Jesus Christ. So Father, even now as we come before your table together and are reminded of this time, we're just really thankful, God. We're really thankful that you came into the darkness and you gave us your light. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.